To Mages and Murder Dads, the best show dedicated to the games beyond Baldur's Gate. This is episode 56 of We're Playing Torment, Tides of Numenera. I'm Cameron. And I'm Danny, and I play Balthazar. I uh, I was trying to mix up the cadence there at the top for this episode. Yeah, this this was a little... Uh, I don't know, the, the way you were reading it is how I felt playing this game yesterday. Uh, in that the pacing was off? No, and then I just wanted to get it over with. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, same. Um, I mean, we'll talk about that in a little bit. It's been a minute since we've recorded one of these episodes. Yeah, we were we were uh, briefly interrupted by the holiday of giving tribute mm-hmm. the the first inaugural giving tribute holiday under under the new regime. This is an episode. It just took us a while. We were interrupted by the holiday. Every time that it gets around the holiday season, it messes up our schedule. Yeah, you can look back. Look look yeah. back at every every video. Yeah, we're just watch not... the whole series over again. Pause this video. Just start Mages and Murder Dads episode one, and then start fifty six hours later. You'll Oof. be back here, and you'll know, and you'll know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so in this episode. You know, the last couple episodes have been kind of story-based. I'm going to make you go through the uh, the work of explaining the story in just a second. But mm-hmm. now we are we're, we're just doing some side quests. This is similar to you know Baldur's Gate Two, or uh, oh yeah, we're in Prime Chapter Two territory. A hundred percent. And honestly, this is just not that long of a game period, and so it's important to take an episode every now and again, even though we're behind schedule. But it's important to take an episode every now and again just to kind of feel out the space because there's interesting stuff that happened. And we actually did some different because I told you, I said, hey, side quest episode, just go do some. I'm not going to tell you what I'm doing. And we actually did some different content. I think. I, yeah, I did none of the things in your in your good document. that I'm Oh, reading. that's it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't do any of the ones that I saw you typing earlier either. So yeah, that's, so. that's good. So mm-hmm. we'll have some stuff to talk about. Um, but yeah, so what's the story so far? Story so far, we are the last cast-off. The last cast-off is the vestige of this being called the Changing God. We are the last, literally the last cast-off, a husk that the, that the Changing God has cast off. There are multiple iterations of various cast-offs, all, uh, all manifestations of previous existences of this Changing God. We slam, we like drop 50 miles from the sky into the earth into, and we like wreck into our own mind palace and we awake having uh, utterly wrecked a resonance chamber um, and we want to fix it. And we have been told that, uh, that, you know, the only person that could possibly you know, point us in the right direction as far as fixing this thing is another cast off named, and I, I, I'm going to double check the name, Man, Man, Matkina? What's Matkina, the name? Matkina, yeah. Matkina. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that the last episode ended slash this episode begins with us encountering Matkina and kind of kind of helping her out so that so that we can get to the next step. Yeah, she wants us to go into, uh, I forget what they're called, but it's basically the the things from uh, Planescape Torment. It's basically Observer. You know what? It's kind of like Observer. So please watch that Let's Play. Please watch all like 15 hours of that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Get right in there. But but yeah, so uh, yeah, we were at the end of last episode, we were going to talk about Matkina, but we were right at the end of like kind of, you know, the general time limit of what we do for these episodes and so you said hey let's just save that for next time yeah because it's a bundle of words like it's it's a lot goes on there there is a lot of stuff 
weirdly enough, in between the last episode and this episode, I accidentally deleted my footage of, <laughs> of me seeing it. So I kind of have to play it by ear. Maybe you mm-hmm. remember a little bit better than me. But basically, yeah. the idea is that she has stored her memory of a, an important event in it's like a mesmosphere or something. Okay, so it's not her memory. Okay, you 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 yeah. play it down then. So Matt Kina, when you first meet her, is in some form of mental distress, and she ends up telling you, "Yeah, there are giant holes in my memory," and the person responsible is another castoff, and I think the castoff's name was something like Tez or Tess, right? It's Tash. Tash. There we go. Yeah, I have that. So. Right now. Uh, so anyway, Tash, she claims, is responsible for these missing memories. And she says, well, I have here this particular contraption where you can go back into Tash's memory. And what I need is I need uh, the knowledge of where this particular woodwind, magical woodwind instrument is. This is not made up. Mm-hmm. She needs to know where this magical woodwind instrument is. It's like, and, and it's got a particular name to it. And the only way is by going in this device. She can't go into it because every time she attempts to, like, jack in to this uh, contraption, it's all static and she's disturbed. So she asks us to do it and we say, sure. And when we get zapped in, we are in Tess's body. But one thing she does warn us before we, like, get zapped in is she says, hey, don't change anything. Because apparently this isn't just a memory. There is some temporal aspect to it. Like, you can cause some weird time paradox with other people who are interrelated with the memory. Or if, and that's, like, one thing, one possibility. Or maybe she says that because you break the memory if you, like, do different things inside it. Unclear Uh, to me. No, it, 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 yeah, so it's called, sorry, I was looking at my notes. It's called a mirror caster. Mirror And no, you're right. There is some weird timey kind of stuff. Like you're not mm-hmm. just reliving a memory. You are somehow transporting back in time because I know when I completed it, I did things that were not quote unquote historically true. Because mm. she she repeatedly warns you, hey, don't do don't intervene. You know, like mm-hmm. just do some reportage. Mm-hmm. And I intervened a bunch of times, and when I'm done with this whole thing, which I'm sure you'll walk through in just a second, but when, I, when I'm done with the whole thing and come out of it, she says, hey, uh, I'm pretty sure that you've changed some stuff. Mm-hmm. So that was important. Yeah, it was the same with me. I did my best at the beginning of this, which, P.S., right? This is an aside. I am taking mm-hmm. us to a place here. Uh-oh. The way in which this memory f- unfolds is very similar to... It's very similar to kind of the way the game opens, right? It's just mm-hmm. kind of a dialogue tree, right? Yeah. It's yeah. a choose-your-own-adventure-style dialogue tree. You, we will later see this in Pillars of Eternity, like at the very beginning of Pillars of Eternity. There, yep. Yeah, these kind, of, uh, these kind of ways of interacting the game that are not within the game engine. It's just text-based. Yeah. And it's a huge part. Well, well, what's interesting to me, and not so much in this one, but... Um, well, later in the game when these kind of things show up. And in Pillars of Eternity 2, it's kind of like a text-based story tree with some illustrations and images, yes. but also that are using the systems that the game itself uses. So, like, you can expend skill points and things yes. like that here. Um, uh, effort and all that kind of stuff that we were talking about a couple episodes ago about the way that this is different from, say, D&D. So, uh, but, but yeah, anyway, I, mm-hmm. I think I know what you're going to say, but... I think combat would be better in this system. I think this game should... I think the only combat that should exist in this game, like if you get in combat, I think that it should fade to black, This these screen comes up and you just like choose options like this and that's how you should revolve, resolve combat. It would be infinitely better. This game would rise in my esteem so high <laughs> if that were the case. <laughs> well, so this is why... Uh, so I wrote about this and we'll get to Pillars of Eternity too at some point in the deep future. In, in the deep time of, mm-hmm. of the show. Um, but this is something with it. When I reviewed Pillars of Eternity to Deadfire, this is what I said. Because um, there is boat combat in that game. Mm-hmm. And the boat combat just happens in this screen. Okay. Like, like legitimately, there is a turn system, and you're choosing, you know, when to... Um, when do you want to make your boat go faster to maybe ram their ship? Or when do you want to fire your cannons? Or when do you want to do this stuff? And it's kind of making stat bars go up and down. Mm-hmm. You know, this is how much energy your boat has right now. This is how much uh, shot 
food, all kinds of stuff like that. And, and also it, a little bit resonant of uh, sunless seas, too, right? Yeah, uh, 100%. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it, but, but, it, but in Pillars of Eternity 2, it's just in this type of screen. There's not even, like, a, an isometric view. Gotcha. Um, and I thought that was excellent. Like, I thought, <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think I might have written in that review uh, that I did for Waypoint, I think I might have said, hey, it'd be better if all the combat happened that way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a million percent on board with you. I wish that whatever this kind of next wave of these games uh, are, I hope they lean into that more. Yeah, but because... They definitely won't, but I hope I wish they That would. was one of the reasons why I was so frustrated with this game as I was playing yesterday, is like I just stumbled into a few combat-type encounters, and it is so molasses slow. And I think what... These turn-based games in particular, I don't think... Pillars of Eternity is not turn-based, correct? No, it is yeah. uh, pause it's, and play. Yeah, it's pause and play, yeah. But, boy, I think you. I think people forget that the only reason why, like, D&D turn-based combat is fun, is, like, is tolerable is because you can, like, riff with your friends while it's happening. Yeah, this well, you, version of that, like taking that exact same system and just unfolding it in front of a computer is like watching paint dry. It is so bad. Well, what's interesting to me, right, is that, yes, you're 100% right. Like riffing with your friends about it is good because you can, there are multiple agents on a board at any given time, mm-hmm. right? There are the the other players, your, your friends who are cooperating with you. So you can say like, hey, if you do this next turn, I can do this, blah, blah, blah. But they won't necessarily do that. Uh, 100%. They, they, they could not do that. And that's kind of, yeah. Yeah. Or, or you can mm-hmm. role play, right? Mm-hmm. And you can just be like, I'm doing this. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense tactically. But if if I do this and you do this other thing, then maybe that will make for like a really epic and cool moment in the game, mm-hmm. right? There, There's a way that the combat in a tabletop game, of any type of t- tabletop game, can, uh, it, it can be like the crunch fest that sucks real bad, or it can be like a really cool opportunity for doing things that you're not going to normally do in like a story game. That's sure. like combat at its best, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you and so this is not that, of course, this <laughs> yeah. is like wholly deterministic, uh, and and I'll get into like very specific complaints uh, in just, in a minute when we talk about the one big combat encounter I had. But on the other hand, right there there are ways of handling this kind of combat that still work out and are kind of fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the Tales of Candlekeep game that mm-hmm. you played that, that we did a little video on. Yes, um, that's like the adaptation of the D and D board game. That's like almost wholly deterministic and kind of grindy. Um, but the combat encounters are really short and they are thematic to like the little square that you land in mm-hmm. and they don't take a lot of time. Yeah, they are they are fourth edition distilled into its purest form. Yeah. And, into and its and purest Im- best version. One can imagine that you could do something like that in a game like this, which is to say you could create little encounters of a few enemies. Mm-hmm. That that could that could even if they are wholly turn based, sloggy at their core, they could be small enough, and you could do several of them. Bite sized, bite sized, one hundred percent. This game makes the mistake of the only combat encounters that I have encountered so far have been with fifteen different entities, <laughs> fifteen different and, entities, and you're just like slowly watching the turn order. Like oh, crunch its way back to the last cast off. <laughs> yes, it is absolutely, absolutely brutal. But anyway, sorry. Mm-hmm. Go, go. But no, that's all I had to say. I had a bad time yesterday. Then I kind of like reloaded my save, and I had to, what I had to do is I had to reconceive of the character Balthazar is to like make this game enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first thing I did was I like recruited some NPCs. So I, I like set about I, I became okay with that, and I also became okay with Balthazar using more uh, more intimidation, more persuasion, more intellect abilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and today, as I was playing, I had a very pleasant time. And you know what? Not a coincidence. Didn't get into a fight today, so those things are probably interrelated. Yeah, I mean, I think the game across the board punishes you <laughs> for getting in <laughs> fights, which which on one hand. Uh, from a design perspective, could be really awesome. Yeah. Right? If, if this game felt like it were built around the idea that if you're getting in a fight, you've made a mistake. Sure. Because because fights are bad. 
Mm-hmm. But in fact, in the in the um, thing I'm going to talk about in just a bit, uh, fights sometimes are wholly required in a quest line, and they suck real bad, and they don't even make any sense <laughs> yeah. within the context of the story that's being told. And that's a that's a bummer to me. All of those things, and there is so much. You, you also, I think, it's disingenuous for a designer to say we are going to intentionally make the combat system feel bad. Because we're making a broader statement about violence and like mm-hmm. how you shouldn't seek it out. Sure, you can do that, but do not devote immense sections of the character sheet to combat. That's speaking out of both sides of your mouth, right? Yeah, and I don't know if they are intending to. Like, no, I, I don't I, think that that's happening. <laughs> yeah, I w- You know, I think that if the game said in the character creation sheet, "Hey, if you're doing combat, you're probably going to have a bad time." Mm-hmm. Um, but I just don't think, I don't know. I think there are a lot of, um, for all the really great parts of this game, I think there are some like really clunky and, and rough parts of this game. And I, I don't know if the, the tides of Numenera system is really built around combat in, in any sense. Right? Yeah. I, but I don't, all uh, that to say, I think now we get to more of the good stuff because we're going to, yeah. well, this is our story time hour. And you're just going to tell, I, I don't know anything about what you've done, and you don't know anything about what I've done, so we can just talk about the stuff we did, I guess. Well, finish the last thing of what Matt Kina in her flashback, like what, what yes. happened there. So, uh, basically, um, I did my best to, uh, to avoid uh, intervening in time. I stood back. Uh, the story that happened is there is this cremation that is occurring, and we meet with this uh, figure that Matt Kina knows, what appears to be a village elder. The The town had been be- basically being threatened by this force called the Sand Knights. Uh, Matt Kina was there to say, hey, you guys need to evacuate this village because bad stuff's going to happen. And she was desperately trying to get me to intervene, and eventually I did try to persuade this village elder to leave. Uh but we are confronted after we go get the this magical flute, which the village elder was like, we got to get the magical flute. So we go get the magical flute, uh, which was the whole reason why behind the memory to begin with is Matt Kena needed knowledge about this. We're confronted outside. Matt Kena is attacked and I attempt to defend her. And that is when I am, I am like rendered unconscious by these assailants. And I change time by attempting to save her. That's kind of how it folded unfolded for me. Yeah, I think that's very similar to me. Did did you get the little thing where it is revealed, where you get to see Tash like mind wiping her? No, I did not. Okay, I I I got that far. Maybe I I did something a little bit different. I I do remember that. And then because when I woke up, she was very confused about realizing that Tash had mind wiped her specifically. Mm. Um, but yeah, I'll be honest that I didn't. I don't. I, a, I don't remember a whole lot about it, and B, I'm not quite sure how it matters in the big, you know, capital Q quest that I'm yeah. on. Um, but yeah, but after that, she says, she offers to join your party. I did not allow her in my party. She is now in my party. I have a real party of knaves, knaves and brigands. Who Who is in your party currently? Matt Kina is in my party. <laughs> and that's um, it? Matt Kina, the the first guy who is aligned with the cult of the changing god. Allegurn. Allegurn is in my party. And then finally, a individual we will meet later named Tiber is in my party. Oh, I, I don't have any of those. I've got Callistica, mm-hmm. I have Aridus, and I have Rin. Who, and Rin is like the child, remember that I rescued. Does Rin even do anything? No. Rin has no <laughs> combat abilities at all. It's just a kid. Mm-hmm. It's just a, it's just a baby, which is interesting, but really kind of a bummer. <laughs> um, and I'm sure that'll pay off in, in, in you know in cool ways later. But sure. Um, but yeah, so she she says two things after you kind of help her out. She she says, hey, you need to go to a place called Meal Avest, which is like a cast off community, very uh, Baldur's Gate Throne of Ball. Oh yeah, I didn't yeah, even think about the it. Ball yeah, Spawn yeah. City. Yeah, basically, it mm-hmm. is that. Um, and that we can only get there through the Valley of Dead Heroes, and so we've got to go to the Caravansary. Was that what it's called? Caravansary? Yeah, I believe so. Um, in order to do that. And so mm-hmm. basically now you can golden path from here to there in two minutes and leave for the Valley of Dead Heroes. But we didn't do that. We went and did a bunch of quests. 
Yeah, a ton of content still left in this area. I don't know if we're going to be returning to this area to like be able to revisit this content, but there's a lot here. Yeah, there's probably like six or seven big quests you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the course of these episodes that we've done here, I think we've done five to- together, mm-hmm. something like that, or, you know, combined. Um, we also, um, I, I just have this in the notes, we learn a little bit about this thing called the Bloom that hmm. we are not going to deal with right now, but spoilies, it comes back later in the game. Okay. Um, which is basically like, this: what if the City of Sigil were a big organism, and it were like parasitically just living inside of a big mountain? Okay. And so there's all kinds of connections between Sage's Cliffs, where we are right now, and the Bloom. And we hear people talking about it constantly. Um, but I'm just planting that flag for people for later on uh, when we we interact with it again. Interesting. Yeah. So you, it looks like, I see a, a big bold thing here. Yeah, I bolded my stuff. Okay. Because it's important, because it's about me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, what, um, what'd you do? Yeah, so there is, at the very entrance of Circus Minor, which is this first area in Sage's Cliffs, there is a being uh, contained within this magical-looking field. Um, And I am told by the two explorers, who even in my quest log, they are not named. So I'm not going to remember my name if my quest log can't. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this thing is called the Nicked... The Nictemeron. Yeah, the Nictemeron. Nictemeron. Yeah, something like that. And basically, these two explorers were, like, testing a trap for some other creature. And the Nictemeron, like, stumbled upon them. And they cobbled to get, that like, this big burly warrior, uh, like, clonked it on the head and knocked it out. And then they, um, they, they were able to, like, rig together their trap in order to contain it. Hmm. And they and they said, yeah, we're just here to make a few bucks to like uh, show it off. They're literally it's, so it's it's kind of like a circus animal at this point. They're charging people to like go and look at it. Um, and they said, but in a little while we're gonna like we're gonna like release it because we're explorers. We're not you know we're not in the zoo game or what have you. Uh, so we are going to release it far away from here when we're finished. And I said, hey, can I talk to it? And I, I was like able to pay the guys some money, and I went and talked to it. And this is a giant squid, like bulbous, half machine, half organic creature that is floating in the air, kind of like a beholder and a giant squid mixed together. At the end of every tentacle are just sharp metallic, metallic like probe syringes, etc. And it talks in this very monotone, like "Mm, query, query, do, do humans enjoy freedom? And I said, yeah, more or less. Uh, and query, why is it that, that humans uh, enjoy freedom? And I said, well, you know, we like, we like exploring our opportunities. Query, do, why do humans want immortality? And I said, well, generally, we're afraid of death. And it says, mm, query. Okay, so, it, so ultimately, it's like, okay, processing complete. Uh, query, will you save me? <laughs> you know, additional information. You, you value freedom. You fear death. Will you save me? Dang, you got you got internet master stroked. Yeah, and I said, well, I guess so. I guess you have like a, exactly. I have been master. It's like, <laughs> well, well, excuse me, sir. And then I was like, no, you're right. I have to free you now. I'm yeah. obliged to free you. Yeah, logic. Um, you have been owned by logic. I have been owned by logic. So it tells me that there's this guy named B. Lazar just over to the side, and it knows B. Lazar has been attempting to, like, steal it away. Hmm. And that I could repurpose or, like, use B. Lazar's ploy to steal it away to give it its freedom, right? Okay. So I go talk to B. Lazar, and B. Lazar's like, hey, you know, I, I, I really want to dissect that creature, but the only way I can dissect is I'd, I'd have to, like, transport it out of that containment to this p- particular place where it can go be killed. And I, I say, well, okay, what's the device that you got there? And he's like, okay, we well, got to put this device on the cage, and then it'll, it'll get zapped out. So I went back to the Nictheramon, and I said, hey, I've got this device, and it kind of, mm, information processing, okay, what you'll need to do is place it in this way, uh, you know, twist the antenna 90 degrees, and it gives me all these instructions. And I do it. And it gets zapped away. It's zapped away, and the two explorers are, what the hell did you just do? And I said, I didn't do anything. 
the new Balthazar can lie. That's a rule I have now. Wow. I said, I, di- I didn't do anything. He's like, wait, so what you're saying is you were right over here looking at it. You're looking at it right there. And I saw you messing with the cage and you're saying you didn't do anything. And I said, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I didn't do anything and you can't prove it. And they said, well, boy, howdy. Well, look. Maybe you didn't do anything, but that thing's going to appear somewhere. And when it does, it's going to just kill everyone. Because uh, uh, I, wa- I want to let you know that it, uh, the, the morning after we, uh, the night it, it like, uh, we imprisoned it, it told us a bunch of things. It, it asked to be freed, and we freed it, and then it tried to kill us the next morning. Mm-hmm. So, so, it's, so they said, boy, howdy, you messed up. Oh, gosh. Now, uh, I talked to Belazar, and he's like, you totally didn't transport it where I, where I wanted it to. And I said, no, I set it free. And he's like, do you know where it is? I said, no, I don't. Fast forward to... <laughs> That's fast never good. That's not good at all. Fast forward to uh, some time and place I was not expecting this creature. <laughs> no, fast forward to the Fifth Eye Tavern, which you're about to visit. Oh, gosh. Um, you can now talk about the Fifth Eye Tavern, and I will interject when it's appropriate. <laughs> okay, so the Fifth Eye Tavern is in the Sages Cliffs area. It's like around over where all those houses were falling last mm-hmm. episode where where the Shrika were digging tunnels and whatnot. And it's like a giant water cistern. And you go in there and there's like warped graphics and all kinds of stuff. It's weird looking in there. And uh, the the pitch here is that this is a bar for psychics. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is what they're up to. And they like to go here because the big water cistern that's around them prevents psychic energies from getting in. So it's like the only place where they can go and not have to deal with brain stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. I I don't really know. But you go in there and there's this person walking around named Clarion. And Clarion basically is just like, hey, listen, I'm here. Have you heard the good news? I'm here to recruit people to the endless battle. (laughs) The endless battle? It's called the endless battle. See, you know it's got to be good. <laughs> you you know it's something you definitely want to commit time to. Mm-hmm. It'll definitely be over one day. Oh, yeah, definitely. That sounds like a good time investment. Yeah, 100%. So so this is already, like, okay. <laughs> but Clarion is, is there rec- trying to recruit this group of psychics. It's like a psychic uh, XCOM team, basically. Mm-hmm. There's, like, there's, like, the smart one and the tactician and the, uh, the gunner. And then the the scout, and then kind of a different kind of scout. And so I'm going to talk about all those in just a second. But anyway, that's like what's going on in the in the Fifth Eye Tavern. Is that Clarion's here trying to get them to join this in, endless battle. And the endless battle is just uh, Numenera's version of the Blood War. It's the hmm. exact same thing. <laughs> is it really? Yeah, 100%. Except the difference uh, is that it is an endless battle that was initially sparked off between... The Changing God and the first cast off. Mm. And the first cast off, you know, is the, that's the person who split initially from the Changing God. Uh, if you are the last cast off, you know, and there are, per, you know, someone in this episode when I was playing said there could be millions of cast offs in between. Mm-hmm. So this is kind of like, you know, an ancient battle going on. Um, and so this is partially the, the endless battle is the stuff you're talking about, the sand knights before. Mm-hmm. They're like a, an important part of the uh, the endless battle. So mm. they're like one of the militaries. Anyway, none of that actually matters because this is just like a big clockwork quest in order to recruit all these people to the fight. If you want to, I guess, if you think it's important to do so. And so there are five people like I was talking about before. So number mm-hmm. one, there's the barkeep and he is one of the members of this psychic tactical team psychic XCOM. Mm-hmm. um his name is Ferioc. he's the barkeep and he is blind mm-hmm. um, and by that they mean that he once had psychic powers and he got blinded mm. so he doesn't have them anymore well, i talked to him because I, I i perused the drink menu and one mm-hmm. of the psychics uh belittled his abilities so that must have been what they were referring to exactly yeah um yeah they kind of give him he's got a good humor about it but they kind of give him heck because yeah. he uh, he he can't do what he used to do anymore. Hmm. Um, there is Lido. Oh, can is I that? interject? By the way, this is where the thing happens. You absolutely can. So 
fairy Ock is selling this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Psychics love drinking this this water in the cistern, but some of it's all of differing quality and strength, right? Yeah, so he's got like ten different drinks or something, and th- three of them are the risky drinks, mm-hmm. right? And I say, what are the risky drinks? He's like, oh, there's the black ooze, there's the pink stuff, and there's the acid. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, give me give me some of that pink stuff, and I drink it. And basically, the text box is, death swiftly comes for you. Yeah, it murders you. (laughs) It murders the hell out of you. So I appear back in what is called, I guess, the labyrinth. Yeah, your mind mind palace. palace. And who is waiting for me other than the Nick Nick (laughs) Terramon? Nick Timuron. It's floating around, and it's ghostly. And I go up and talk to it. And I say, hey, what's going on? And it says, "Uh, yeah, I don't know how I got here. And I say, well... You're the Nick Timuron, right? And it kind of looks at itself and he says, well, you know, processing technically, no, because uh, in order to be a Nick Timuron, I must be a physical thing and I am ephemeral now. So I guess I am not what I used to be. Wow. So I don't know what I am anymore. Hmm. And uh, I say, well, how do you feel about this? And it says, I I haven't really processed that yet. Some confusion, some anger, maybe uh, fear. Some somewhere along those lines. Oh, oh, that's rough. And it reach out and it touches me with one of its newly ethereal appendages, and it gives me a permanent ability that says whenever anyone attacks me with a melee attack, it will inflict a random fettle on that on that assailant. Cool. Whenever they could you or whenever they attack you. Whenever they attack me. Oh, that's good. And but here's the thing: it's random. Could be good. Could be bad. Hmm. Well, that's the world I live in now, and that's my interjection. That's what happened to the Nick Timuron. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. I bet I bet that comes back later. I think there's a lot of looping around of, of random characters later in the game, which mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, so there's Leto, who is a seer. She straight up can just, like, tell the future. And what's worse is that she can see all the different time streams, and so sometimes she's unclear about where she is in a time stream or if something has happened yet or something might happen. And so mm. if you talk all the way through her dialogue tree, she like predicts the very far future. Um, sometimes she predicts or she says things that have already happened. It's, it's pretty cool. Mm. Um, good, good writing here in the, uh, in the Fifth Eye Tavern. There's the- Theboros or Thephobos. I don't. I think I wrote his name down wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like the brains of the team. So the the Ferioc doesn't have like a little quest associated with him. Mm-hmm. Um, Leto doesn't really have a little quest associated with him. Thaboros has a thing called the Words of Kra, Q R A, in his head. Okay. And and you're like, well, excuse me, uh, Thaboros. What is what are the Words of Kra? He says, okay, well, once there was this group of people who discovered um, a weaponized meme <laughs> called <laughs> okay. the Words of Kra. And, uh, yeah, just any civilization that learns them, it kills them all. It's the exhibit. <laughs> hey, I know you like blank, but have you considered blank in your blank? Yes. And it's just that, but it's so powerful. It's a weapon. It's, it's brutal. Um, and so he says, yeah, so it's killed multiple civilizations. Um, one civilization realized what was happening and they tried to like, uh, turn it off, but it gets out in the world. So eventually, even if you kill everyone who knows it, it'll start appearing in front of you. Like the wind will be blowing and the words will appear in the sand. Mm. It's like that level of like a word virus. Um, and so he said, you know, so what I did is I went and talked to the last remaining people who knew him and then I trapped it in my own head, in his own like mind palace. Ooh. Yeah, he says they're they're in there, and I can feel them worming around. It's bad, and I say because I have like twenty two intelligence. Mm-hmm. I said, "Hey, uh, hey, buddy, why don't you put, why don't you jam those words in my mind palace?" And he said, hmm. I, "I don't know. Can you handle it?" And I made a little persuasion check, and he was like, "Gosh, you can handle it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here they are." <laughs> and he jammed them in my head. Um, and then he had his friend, Ziobi, who I'll talk about in a second, but he had her basically melt part of his brain where the words were, so now I have them. 
Now, have you visited your labyrinth since the words of Craw appeared there? Yeah, they're like in there. Uh, they're like in their own little. Um, Are they just graffiti floating in the air? No, they're in their own like little quest zone, and I did not go there. Oh, okay. I'm hoping this is just speculative, but this seems like the kind of game where at some point I'll be able to put those words in someone else's brain. Or that could be a combat ability. You just get an ability where you like zap people with the words of Craw. No, I haven't gotten anything yet, so mm. but I don't know. Um, so that was like the thing I did for him, and that's kind of his like loyalty quest for for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's Ziobi, who is like the assault person. She she's mm. like a uh, she can manifest people and things. And her quest is for you to tell her who in the bar she has made up. Like there is someone in this bar that is that is fake. Real. Yeah, hmm. and she is is doing, you know, projecting them. And I legit just guessed, like, straight up, there's a list of people of all the people I've talked to in the bar, and I just clicked one at random, and I got it right. <laughs> nice. Um, and it was Ferioc. And hmm. the story, the barkeep, and the story that we get is that Ferioc... So, what the psychic XCOM people were fighting are these things called the adversaries, who were like beings from beyond time and space who enter into our reality or the reality of, of the characters in this game. And they basically plant themselves and try to drag themselves through from some other universe into our universe. And it's incredibly destructive. And they're so alien and strange that we don't even know, or, or Zyobi and, and their group, they don't even know if it's like an act of war, right? Mm-hmm. But it is violent, and it kills lots of people. It kills thousands of people when it happens. And so they are having this, like, eight-dimensional chess game of psychic manipulation to close portals off between the worlds. So these things are basically aberrations from the far realm in a and ism right? Yes, or, or they're, you know, um, they're like Lovecraftian beings, sure. basically. You know, somewhere in the middle there. Um, and so Ferioc was there. I think they call him, like, a lantern or something. Mm-hmm. But what he he was basically an angler fish in this aether between worlds, and so the idea is he like would create this little light that the adversaries would latch onto, um, but he would be able to see them, hmm. um, and so he could lure them back, and so they could attack them. Um, so there's kind of this double thing of like he has to make himself very vulnerable and seeable to the adversaries, but they could see him and they would attack him, and then they could corner those adversaries. Hmm. So what happened is eventually after this occurs several times, uh, one manifests itself through Ferioc and burns him out. So just Whoa. consumes him in, in totality. And there's even this kind of discussion uh, that Zyobi has, and this is why I think the writing is so good, that this adversary was basically sacrificing itself so it could kill their eyes, Right, their ability to see where the adversaries were coming from. Mm. So it's this kind of like, you know, very chess move uh, kind of sacrifice going on. All of that's to say, uh, Ferioc doesn't exist, and, and you get this kind of emotional, um, I don't know, story that happens in between the group. So that's, that's uh. her little quest, and so she's my friend now. Um, and then I talk to Dama, who is the person that everyone in the in respects and he's like the tactic the tactical master he's he's mm. the leader of the group and he gives you all the stuff i just told you about the adversary he's the person that tells me about that stuff and he says actually what's even worse is the last time that we fought the adversaries i think that they like left uh like um i don't know like an anchor in our reality mm. he says i think i think they're in this bar no way. Yeah. And so he says, you gotta, he basically says, who in this bar is the adversary? And so you have to go around to talk to everyone in the bar. There's a bunch of other people. Um, and I'll just like run through them really quick. There's one called O, who says it is literally the manifestation of the word. It says it's the word made flesh. Um, and it tells you that Leto is the quote unquote mother of empires. It's very, hmm. you know, tormenty. Um, there's someone called Yisig who is a time traveler who just happens to be trapped in a body of like um, some sort of creature here. Hmm. Um, there's a guy named Almus the Soul Keeper who has a really cool story. Um, so he was the leader of a hive mind species and they all began 
I, I guess, I, 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 unclear. They became they began self destructing because he experienced doubt for the first time. Ooh, and so his doubt good. poisoned his civilization and destroyed them. And so I had the option of being like, no, you shouldn't doubt yourself. That's bad. And um, in saying that, I could expend some of my, um, you know, intelligence energies or whatever, some effort mm-hmm. to literally zap doubt from his mind. And I did that. So his civilization would come back. And then in his monologue after that, it was very clear that he was like a tyrant. <laughs> <laughs> like his psychic, hive mind is bad. Yes, his, he's like a psychic tyrant who is absorbing people into his universe. And so that was kind of interesting. The real Baldur's Gate turn, maybe you did a bad thing. Yeah, oh, you definitely did a bad thing uh, <laughs> here. There's a guy named Sir Arthur who's straight up just v- Volo. <laughs> like, okay. No more, no less. And there was a, a ghost woman who I absorbed into my brain. And that's now like she's a, there. Yeah. And so she's in my brain, and, and um, I'll do a quest with her later. With, through a lot of experimentation, none of these people are the adversary. I went back okay. and reported to Dama every time. None of these people are the adversary. So I, I basically just did everything I could in this room. Eventually, I get to the same drinks that you were drinking from Fairy Okay. Uh, the black drink like warps time and space, and there I could see something called... Um, let me malaise. malaise, malaise, yeah. That's like standing behind Dama, and so I go through this long list of all the people in the bar, and Dama says for each one of them, he's like, "Nope, that's weird. There's a time travel traveler, but that's not the person I'm looking for. Oh, that's weird that Volo is here. That's not who I'm looking <laughs> for." Goes through all these different things, and then you're like, "Well, what about malaise?" And he's like, "There's nothing named malaise here." And I was like, "He's standing right there," and he's like, "There's no one standing right there." And so they like become te- they're ex- paranormal XCOM people, and they start saying like, "Hey, will you bend light here for a little bit with me?" And blah blah blah, all this stuff. So they eventually see Malays and are like, "All right, we've got to get in a big fight." <laughs> okay, time to get in a big fight. We got to do it. And I'm thinking, okay, this is like a psychic creature. There'll be some skill checks here probably, but this will not be a legit fight. So I just click on through. Lo and behold, it is a legit, complete, normal fight. It um, there are like twelve different copies of Malays, and then five external party members, and then the four members of my party. So this is a, like a twenty actor fight. Oh lord! In in a relatively small bar. No, no, we are in a psychic space. Oh, you go into a psychic realm. Yeah, and so it is terrible. <laughs> I die, or, or or all of the psychics get killed, and I'm going to die in the. Uh, in the first time I attempted, so I was like, okay, I'll just reload an autosave. There's no autosave. Oh, so no. So I have to do all of that again. Oh, And it no. takes 20 minutes. It's awful. It's truly mm-hmm. the worst. I wrote, literally in my notes, I wrote, no! No! <laughs> um, so anyway, we do it. In the second time I do it, uh, the, um, the last cast-off gets killed. Mm. And when I wake back up, you know, I go to my mind palace. I come out of my mind palace. I wake up. And uh, the psychics say, when you went down, Dama heroically sacrificed himself. And he destroyed the adversary, but he is also dead. Damn. So, yeah, I've kind of, like, killed their ability to kill the adversaries. And so, um, Theoboros is, he has, like, nothing left to do in his life. And I think Leto has nothing left to do. So, Clarion recruits them to the endless battle and they go off. But, yeah. Basically, like I have split there. There was a, a you psychic. split up the dream team. There yes. were the Avengers, and basically there was like the Avengers, and then like some guy trying to recruit people for the Blood War. Yeah, and the Avengers are like we we're not going to join the Blood War. We've got like avenging to do. Yeah, and then you killed Captain. You basically America. killed Captain America. Yeah, and and then like Tony Stark and Thor are like, well, I guess we'll just go join the Eternal Battle. Yeah, but also it like doesn't bode well since those adver- adversaries are still kicking around. Oh no, Thanos is gonna win now. Yeah, a hundred percent. So oh, it, it's bad. It, it's a real, it's a great designed quest in a general sense, um, and failure like feels like a real failure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it, it's like oh shit. But it's still, but it failure at least progresses the story instead of just being a brick wall of like, well, you don't get to see this content if you don't win this fight. A hundred percent. So that's like the big thing that I did. That probably took a, a whole hour of my time 
through both mm-hmm. playthroughs. So, but you did some other stuff. Yeah, I uh, that was a good one. It, I don't know if any of I mine is one of the as long quests. as that. I think that's one of the better quests in all of these games. Um, so you saw the guy getting executed out front, right? Uh, yes. In Circus Miner. Yes, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you ever like inquire as to what was going on there? No. Okay, so basically there is a guy being strangled by what looks to be a huge umbilical cord. And there is like a a brown, sandy looking like ethereal figure slowly choking him with the umbilical cord. And I talked to the town crier and the town crier is like, yeah, that guy's name Riss. He was selling state secrets. So he was sentenced to death. So that's what we're doing. I was like, well, how, how on earth are you? What, what form of execution is this? He's like, it's easy. You give someone a, uh, a hallucinogenic that causes their greatest nightmare to appear before them. And then, as they're screaming about what they're seeing, we use magic to manifest that thing in real life. Oof. And we manifest their words into that thing that is strangling them. And then we, like, slowly crush them by that, with that. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then after we're finished killing them, we feed them to a, a uh, member of the Dendra O'Hur, which I mm-hmm. will talk about later. But they are a sect of cannibals who, be- who can basically, after they consume the flesh of a human being, they get that human being's memories. Yeah. And so we feed them to uh, one of the Dendro her because then we'll be able to find out if there, if there are any uh, accomplices from the person's memories of, of the of the crime, right? Oof. So I uh, at the time I want to talk to this Dendro her guy named the Thought Devourer because I'm doing the uh, the murder request that we talked about last episode, and one of my leads has led potentially to him. But I can't get up on the podium because the levees are blocking me. Now, do you know what a levee is? Um, I mean, not in this case, no. Yeah, so the town guards are all these really smiley, polite people with just slightly too big of eyes, right? Mm-hmm. And you talk to them, and you're like, well, what's the deal with you? And, uh, and they say, hey, I can't let you on the platform because the town council has deemed it not legal. But let me tell you. Uh, I am a levy, and I said, what's, what's, what's that? And they say, well, uh, every citizen uh, must give a year of their life to birth a levy. But they're not, they're not like human beings. They're not being born. They're created using a machine. Like a machine sucks a year of life out of every citizen to give one levy a year of existence. Hmm, like a homunculus so kind. They're like a little go- golem or homunculus. Okay. Um. So anyway, that's going to come into play later. Uh, but I uh, then, uh, you know, talk to the people in the crowd, and I meet this guy named Tiber. And Tiber is like, oh, man, I've got a free risk because I'm the reason why, uh, you know, I feel bad because I'm the reason why Risk got caught. And I said, well, what's the deal? What happened? Why did Risk get caught? And, and Tiber is a smuggler. He's just a scoundrel. And he tells me that he and Riss were, you know, smuggling some bottles of, like, brandy to this other place. And it just so happened that those bottles of brandy had state secrets, like, rolled up inside them. Okay. And I say, and I say to Tiber, it sounds like you were aware of this. And Tiber's like, yeah, at the time I did, but I didn't think it was necessary to tell Riss. Mm-hmm. But anyway, eventually they get, we get found out. And while I'm in the bathroom... Uh, Riss, is, people come in and arrest Riss, and I'm able to scramble out the window. And I feel so guilty, and I, I need to save my partner. And I say, sure, how do we do that? And he says, well, what we need to do is we need to do, we need to, like, go get some patch that designates us as authorities, uh, you know, endowed with the ability to commute sentences by the town council. And we need to get a writ of a stay of execution. We need to forge one. Mm. And so we go to a, um, basically I go to this tailor 
who has these special, uh, you know, insignias, and I am able to use deception to fool him into saying, hey, I, I have, like, the certification to get this, but I'm just late to this thing, and you wouldn't want members of the town council angry at you, so it gives me that. Then I go to the council clerk, who is this four-eyed kind of mutant being with four arms, and he's just standing at a podium in the middle of the government district, like reaching his hands into portals, getting paperwork, then with another hand, like stamping it. And then like, <laughs> so he's just constantly doing this and his four eyes are constantly looking at different things on the podium, like as he's stamping and like kind of just reaching into these dimensional holes to do things. He's right? a bureaucracy guy. A hyper bureaucrat. He's a That's level good. 15 bureaucrat. That's awesome. Um, I want that to be my next D&D character. I know. <laughs> and I, uh, I tell him, hey, I need, I need some paperwork done. And he just ignores me and he says, not until official business is concluding. He just keeps going. And I get the impression official business is not concluding anytime soon. So I intimidate him and it works. Like I roll a critical success on intimidating this extra planar bureaucrat. <laughs> and, and, he was, and he mentioned something about like brutes. He still keeps doing it, but one of his eyes is trained on me now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I tell him, hey, I need this, uh, you know, and Tiber told me that there was an old stay of execution floating around that was never filed because the criminal uh, died hmm. before the stay of execution could be like was murdered in prison or or escaped and was murdered afterwards, something along those lines. And so Tiber says, oh, if we just get that, I can forge it so it has Riss's name on it instead. So I am able to persuade the council clerk to give me the old stay of execution. And then literally uh, Tiber like takes it and puts it on my back and says, hey, hold still. And there are several <laughs> options of text I can tell Tiber in that moment. One of them, it's like ranges from one of them is, are we seriously doing this right now? <laughs> Um, but the one I settle on, on, on is, you magnificent bastard. <laughs> um, so he forges it in front of the town clerk, just on the back of my thing. And Tiber's like, yeah, looks looks like it's all uh, in order. And you're able to tech now like just talk to the council clerk. And I was like, hey, you must see a lot of paperwork. Have you heard of any like fun stories? And he just like will tell you fun stories. And I hmm. only like had him tell me two, but I'll tell you one because it was really good. I tell him, uh, he says, yeah, so I just got this missive. There's a guy who died, and he's like 275 years old. And, and he say, you may ask, how does someone live that long? Well, the Pope of, you know, Glint, Glinton, one, you know, announced 250 years ago that uh, anyone who could restore this magnificent ancient painting in the cathedral— uh, would be given a special Numenera that would endow them with an extra 250 years of life. So many painters from around the realms like came to look at the painting, but it was so achingly beautiful. And they were so self-conscious about their own skills, they said, no, I cannot complete it, right? It's got this big blotch of missing mural. But eventually, just this like kid comes in with like like with whitewash and roller paint and like a big old paint bucket. Uh, comes in and he takes a look at it and he says, I can finish that. And the and the Pope says, All right, go for it. If you can finish it, you get the 250 years. And the and the kid just like takes the bucket and just and just throws it on the wall, like fills the <laughs> hole and ruins the painting, right? Mm -hmm. And the Pope says, Well, I'm a man of your word. You've completed the painting. Uh I, I have been fooled. I'm going to give you the 250-year serum, so that he, he lives 250 years, and then he sends him to the torture pits for 250 years. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. And so we we finished with the council clerk. I said, thanks for that story, but I got to go finish a... Uh, got to go stop a um, an execution. execution yeah. I go back to the town crier, and I say, hey, I've got a stay of execution. And the town crier says, aren't you the guy that were just that was just asking me about, like, the method of execution earlier? How could you possibly have the authority to stay this execution? And then he looks up at the sky and he's like, you know what? The, the sun has mysteriously disappeared and my wife's waiting for me. I'm out of here. Sure. <laughs> and just leaves. 
Afterwards, Risk then gets really angry at Tiber because Risk is like, the only reason you saved me is because you knew that the Thought Devourer was going to discover your role in this after I was dead. Well, yeah. Which, <laughs> um, and Risk is like, I'm going to get vengeance on you and like swears vengeance and leaves. And that's kind of the end of that quest. And I am mm. Tiber. I have Tiber join me because he seems like a fun loving guy. Cool. Mm hmm. Uh, my my. My quest idea is not, not as interesting. Okay. Um, did you talk to Zeofi, the sculptor, in the first episode? Uh, no, I did not. He's just a guy who's a sculptor. And you can talk to him, and he's, like, trying to create this, like, uh, portrait of someone who's, like, just... Um, not a portrait, but a sculpture of someone who's, like, in angst and agony. And he's like, yeah, I was, I was just chilling out, and I was looking out the back window one day, and I saw someone get murdered by this big creature. <laughs> and okay. uh, I've been trying to you know, capture the look on their face for then this whole time. And I haven't been able to do it. And I just need to know their story. Um, and so I went to the location that he was talking about and I found a woman's corpse in a, in a house, the house had fallen. It's one of the houses that the Shrika knocked down. And so basically I like put her in my brain and I talked to her and all this kind of stuff. The, the story ends up being that she is crushed by the house. And so her father who is a cast off is so mm. distraught that he like gives into absolute despair. And so uh, as he does this, this thing called the sorrow shows up and sucks his life force out and kills him. Isn't that the thing that attacked us in our mind palace at the beginning of the game? Mm hmm. It is that thing. Mm, the so sorrow. It's, so it's out and about in the world, and it, it apparently does, like, come for you. or I mean, it comes for cast-offs, right? But also mm. there's some sort of triggering mechanism that makes it come for you, perhaps. Getting sad. So I went and told Zalfia about, about the story behind it, and he got back into his work, and he gave me a cape that turns me into a ghost. Like, <laughs> if someone tries to attack me, it gives me some dodgy ability. Which, which is cool. But yeah, that's the only other quest I did. Not not super exciting. We don't have a lot of time, but I will add uh, one more cool story. Yeah, like because like, I did this quest, this quest that you're about to talk about, I did it last time. Yeah, so I can say a little bit about it, too. So I did not, I have not, like, rested, mm -hmm. right? So I haven't, like, advanced the clock on this initial quest where we were trying to solve who was the murderer. Mm-hmm. It seems like every time you rest, another person gets murdered. Yeah, there's a murder in the, what's it called, the undercommons uh, or something? The underbelly. Or underbelly, yeah. Mm -hmm. And this guy named Folsom's trying to catch this murderer. And Nat Kena is, the, is originally the person who's named is like, man, I bet Nat Kena knows or maybe even is responsible. Nat Kena doesn't know. Uh, but she said, hey, I bet the Dendro her know who did it because they're, they're gross. I went to the Dendro Her, and the very, I went to the Dendro Her, like, the first, I just wandered in there the first time I went to the Undercommon, and they're like, hey, you're a, you're a cast-off, right? And I said, sure, I'm, I'm, I'm the most recent cast-off. And they're like, can we eat you? Like, you come back when you die, right? Can mm -hmm. we just eat you? And I said, sure. And they did. And they were really happy about it, and they're like, hey, when we finally get to our dimension, because they're trying to travel back to, like, their real dimension, hmm. uh, we'd love to take you. So that you could, like, solve all food food shortage. Oh, well, yeah. um, And I said, well, I'll consider it, but that's fine. But anyway, uh, when you go talk to the Dendro Her, there's, like, this Ibid guy who's the head of the Dendro Her. Mm -hmm. And he's, he gives you permission to talk to the three other Dendro Her there. There's Mallet, Kiyata, and Gize. Mallet's just a jerk. Mallet is, is, is like a recent convert to this uh, cannibalism cult, and he's just kind of mean, and all three of them kind of point, and like Mallet's like, it could be either Kiata or Gize. Mm -hmm. You talk to Kiata, Kiata is, is, is like always characterized as, boy, she, you know, she's kind of on edge. She's been, she's been eating people for so long that she, she may, she might be, uh, she might have lost her connection to reality. Cause every person you eat, you get their memories and they like, con the memories continue to bother you, right? Mm -hmm. If you eat enough people, you got a lot of voices in your head. Yeah. Uh, Kiata says Mallet's a jerk and Gaze is just unthinkable. And I go to talk to Gaze and Gaze is like a not a human being, like a mutant or other creature. And Gaze says, yeah, I, I belong to a, you know, my like tribe. I'm a traveler in my initial like 
species or, or you know, the, our ent- the entities we are, um, we uh, it's kind of like a little hive mindy, but basically uh, it's a, it's a plane of all rocks, and they are the only organic creatures. And whenever one dies, it is it is eaten, and the some memories of that one being are like equally distributed among all beings that eat it. So, like, it, they have this co- collective consciousness that goes back into millennia because they continue to eat these one creatures, and that's what drew it to the ideology of the Dendro Her, which are very mm. similar to like what she's dealing with, or what it's dealing with. And Gazay says, "Yeah, I don't even acknowledge that a murder happened because if if the corpse is completely eaten, it's not murder." Well, um, okay. I am also t- told that the like the never-ending hall. Uh, or the never-ending gateway, rather, is the children of the never-ending gate is like a split sect of the Dendra Oher that have a different eschatology, basically. Like, huh. they have a, a different religious outlook on on what's going on, and they supposedly, like, are much less restrained. And so it is believed that uh, whoever is doing these murders is a member of the children of the Endless Gate because of the, the, the blood the circular blood paintings next to each victim. Mm, that that right. is right. There are like, uh, like finger paintings. Yes. So I talk to all of them and my quest journal says, Hey, you can go talk to Folsom now. So I go to Folsom and I can accuse one of the many people. And I end up accusing Mallet because Mallet has like the most earthly interests of the group. Mm-hmm. And one of the people that I talked to, I believe it was Kiata, said, yeah, whoever did this sounds like they had a grudge against these people, given the way they did it and, like, leaving a hand. Yeah. So I would look for people that, um, you know, maybe had a grudge against these, like, regular old underbelly dwell- dwellers. So I accuse Mallet, and Folsom, like, sends his two people out, and they come back. After a little, like, after it fades to black and fades back in, and they're like, yeah, we hanged Mallet. We ha- we held a trial, and we just hanged him right there. Hmm. And I was like, man, that is that is not what we discussed, Folsom. And he's like, yeah, that's uh, that's just how we do it in the underbelly. Yeah, because Folsom's like, like the mayor. Yeah, he is like a boss hog. Yeah, he is boss hog <laughs> of, of the underbelly. <laughs> Um, so I go and sleep it off, and when I wake up, another person has been murdered, and oh, Kiata like murdered somebody and ran away. Yeah, that's what happened to me too. I couldn't solve it. I couldn't even figure out how to accuse anybody. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that I don't know what I thought was going. I thought maybe an in conversation that I was able to accuse them or something. Um, and so yeah, I slept three times and it murdered people. And what's a real bummer is the first person who gets murdered is like a very nice bird woman. And she's like the last of her kind, and we caught fish together and ate it. Yeah, and the last person to get murdered is a uh, is a merchant that actually sold interesting things. Yeah, yeah. There's like um, a game. Yeah, she sells like a bunch of important Numenera. Yeah, yeah. I uh, had Numenera installed in me, called like the. Uh, basically, I have a my weapon is now temporal. In that it uh, it harms people in a different time in their life and causes old wounds. Cool. Gosh. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it is. It is uh, quite good. Um, do you have any other stories? Um, I don't. I just uh, did. You did you figure out how to leave and go to the Valley of Dead Heroes? Um, I have to imagine it's that skyship. Yeah. The, uh, in the yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you go talk to this dude named Master Rinio. Um, and I have Aridus in my party, and I think I said last time I I met Aridus at a crashed skyship mm-hmm. <laughs> that he said I think that he said he had liberated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so of course it's Master Rinio's skyship, and uh, he's like super pissed off about it because this dude <laughs> just stole his ship and crashed it directly into the dirt immediately. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, but it was kind of anticlimactic because he's like, I'm super mad about this, and I was like, I waved my hand in front of his face and and expended some intelligence points, and I said, You are not mad about this? Water under the bridge, <laughs> and he was like, I guess it's water under the bridge that I was looking for. Um, and so uh, yeah, he offered to take me to the Valley of Dead Heroes whenever I want to go there. So that's sweet. Next on the on the docket. And I guess that's going to be where we pick up, right? Yep. 
if uh, if you want to see more Range Touch content, of course, hit that subscribe button uh, over there. Uh, if you're listening to this in audio form, also hit that subscribe button um, on, on iTunes or uh, Google Play or any of those kind of places. If you want to talk to other people in the Range Touch universe of things that they care about, you can come over to the uh, Range Touch Discord. There's a link down in the description below. And, uh, you know, we just started today, when we, when we recorded this, we just started a Magic the Gather Arena tournament. Um, which is going to be very fun. Yeah. Um, you can go to twitter.com slash range touch in order to get updates on whatever we're doing. Um, you can also check out the other podcasts the range touch community does, um, or, or range touch network does. I should say it's me and Michael Lutz. We, uh, read game studies texts and talk about them. It's called game studies, study buddies. People like that show as much as they like this show. Um, what if you go to twitter.com, Slash Danny Ash? Danny Ashinafi. Sure. You can find Danny. If you go to twitter.com slash cconsulman, you can find me. Is there anything else we need to say? I think that's about it. Uh, thanks for bearing with us uh, after these holidays, but um, looking forward to getting through this game. I, I, I think after this session with some of those fun storytelling elements, I'm kind of reinvigorated in a lot of ways. I'm kind of happy with where the game is now. You can support the show on Patreon. Uh, go down to the description below and click down there. If you want to hear some additional stuff, you can get the Game Study Study Buddy notes. You can get some newsletters that we write. And you can, of course, listen to our other podcast where Danny and I just talk about random things for a full hour. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite good. People like it. They say, quote, it's great. All right. Well, I guess that's going to be it. Okay. All right. Ciao. When shadows descend upon the lands, our divine lord will walk alongside us as he walks. So saith the great alone lord, the world.